Think I'll just stay here and drink. Hey, Welcome back to Tech Dax Radio, presented by David Gardner's Jewelers. If you get the two shot here, you will see I am no longer alone in the Rollo Insurance Studio. I'm joined by Ross Bjork, Texas A&M's athletic director. Ross, phenomenal run in Tampa Bay for the Aggie men's basketball team, making it all the way to the SEC tournament finals. The expectation was we thought they had done enough to receive yeah. an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament, but it turns out the selection committee had other ideas before we get into some of the issues with the selection mm-hmm. committee and how they decided. What was it like being in Tampa for this run? Because it was a phenomenal four days of basketball for yeah. the Saggy basketball yeah. team. No, I appreciate you having me on, Mike, and uh, I know this was kind of short notice, and normally is Lucci... He's on, usually in this spot on Mondays. On Mondays, they're in basketball season. That's actually my spot. So oh, okay. And this is David, okay. David, but football season, that is Lucci's seat. Well, I guess either way, I feel honored to be <laughs> taking your spot or Lucci's spot. Um, Glad to have you. No, it, look, I think you uh, you look at really the the you know second uh, or the third uh, part of the season, uh, the last ten games, and just how we played and the resiliency, and we could have folded. You lose those eight games in a row, but I, I think that just speaks to Buzz's culture where it's just an everlasting culture of just everything is about a process. Everything is about the spirit and the energy. I mean, how many times do you hear Buzz really break down sort of the basketball strategy, right? It's it's more about the, the, the intangibles as he described it. And so you look at the last third of the season and just how we played and the, the spirit and the energy and, you know, winning eight out of ten games and making a, a phenomenal run in Tampa just – I just loved it for our guys. I loved it because they were believing in themselves. They were believing in the process. They were playing extremely well. They were peaking, if you will. And you always kind of hear that in March, Matt, like you want to see teams peak. And we were right there. So, you know, the shock and the disappointment and the anger and the frustration and all the emotions that we went through as we're sitting in that room watching it all unfold, it was a very, very disappointing end to a phenomenal week, but we we can't forget that part of it. And we do everything for our student-athletes. I mean, people think about, hey, we try to build buildings and we do all these things and there's a lot of money and in, in, in these sort of things, but everything we do is for our players and our student-athletes. And when they put themselves in the best position and don't get rewarded, that's where we're frustrated and that's where the anger and all those things set in. And um, we're just uh, we're dealing with that. I'm still getting feedback and trying to learn what happened and all those kind of things, and uh, you're dealing with all that. But focusing on the players is, is what, we, what we do every day. The selection committee says it is a team's full body of work that gets examined. Mm-hmm. And for this Aggie basketball team, yes, they did have the eight-game losing streak. They also won eight out of ten games, including three in the SEC tournament against teams. Auburn, a two-seed. Arkansas, four-seed. Yeah. Alabama, six-seed. Right. Arkansas, four-seed right. again. They had those quality wins. And I'm going to read a tweet that you tweeted yesterday (laughs) just so we get it exactly right. This is from Ross. Quote, it doesn't make sense. It's hard to figure out. This is a flawed selection process if we do not reward teams who deserve an opportunity. Based on how we've responded, I can assure you, no team will battle with stronger fight than Aggie men's basketball and this staff at Team Coach Buzz. So I think we can agree the selection process may not be perfect. Can you think of a better way to maybe do it, or is it just well, yeah. what it is right now? Yeah. I mean, look, there, there's 12 people on the committee, 
And, you know, we, we have, you know, visibility into the process because we have a representative from the SEC. And, and so, and then obviously being in college athletics, as long as I've been in college athletics, I, I was with Dan Guerrero, the athletic director at UCLA. I worked with him yeah. for five years. He was on the selection committee all five years. Yeah. And so I would hear, you know, his um, impressions of, of the process. And so, you know, each committee is going to be different. They're going to value different things. You kind of hear that all along. Um, but... To me, it doesn't matter when you win or lose games because if you won those games, you should get credit. If you lost those games, okay, that's that's a metric that you can all look at. We finished 9-9 nine and nine in the SEC. Yeah. There's a 9-9 nine and nine team in the tournament, mm-hmm. right, in our league, right? LSU, they're 9-9, nine and nine, right? We beat Arkansas twice. We beat Auburn. And so I think – Part of uh, you look at it, and again, this is just my perceptions, and, and again, we're still kind of learning some of the feedback is, you know, we announced these, uh, they have this reveal of the top 16 teams on February 19th that gets put out there. So is it sort of a preconceived, baked process already? How much far along were they going into SEC tournament week? And is the process such where did we get credit for beating Arkansas the way we beat them? Do we get credit for beating Auburn? Those are the things that we're trying to figure out. And if that's the case, let's let's move up our conference tournament. I saw Cal, Coach Calipari talking about that yesterday, right? I mean, so those are all the things that just have to be put into the analysis of I don't think we need to do anything non-conference scheduling-wise because we were in the conversation, right? We started out 4-0. But we finished 9-9 nine and nine in the SEC. We won three tournament games and again that's where for the players standpoint is they put themselves in position and so that shock that that rawness of it and so there's a lot of things that we'll do with the SEC you know I've talked to two committee members you know one last night one this morning Uh, we'll try to learn you know what the perspective was um, how you know Notre Dame and Michigan and you know the Rutgers you know resume like Tell us what it is. Like, is there a data point? And right now, we don't we don't have those clear answers. Um, and so, we just got to support our guys and our staff and our coaches, um, and and keep moving forward. When you look at the blind resume test, which is one of the, everyone's favorite things to yeah. do this time of the year, and we did it on the show. A and M is a better blind, better blind resume than Notre Dame. A better blind resume and a head-to-head win over Notre Dame. Which, oh yeah, I was at that game. Yeah, you I was would, at that game back in Vegas. Would and, you would think if you're comparing ACC right, versus SEC, right, hey, right. we have a real comparison on the court. They played right. each other. Right. It's a flawed system. I want to see more transparency. I want the committee to tell us X team yeah. did not make it because this specifically, and Y team right. made it because this. Right. You think we'll ever get to a point where that I don't does know. I happen? Think, yeah, I think that's got to be part of our sort of our analysis back, our, our pushback, if you will, whether it's SEC, whether it's us, to say, okay, the 12 people in the room, it's a it's a blind vote in the room, but then have you know have some data, have some metrics, say, hey, look, this is what, just tell us, you know, and so that that's the frustrating mm-hmm. part about it, and and I think the timing, you, you've seen a lot of national conversation around. It's a rushed process, if you will, on Sunday. You know, so let's look into that. You know, does it need to be a rushed process? The committee starts gathering last week, and they start putting votes in early for the top. You know, you have 36 at large. 32 are picked. They're AQs. So it's really 
36 teams. But if you ask any basketball expert, if you said, okay, watch the A&M basketball team the last 10 games, no one can say that we're not yeah. one of the best 36. And so that's that's the part. Yeah, give us some data. Give us some metrics. And there needs to be transparency around it. We can't change the fact that the Aggies won't be playing in the big dance, but we do know they're hosting it at 19 games right. tomorrow night. Alcorn That's State's right. coming, so they still have a chance to play for a championship. Right. And as Buzz Williams continues to build this program, it is the next stepping stone right. for them as they continue to build. So I'm yeah. curious first, what is the process that goes into figuring out can you host an NIT site and yeah. – how ready are you guys for this kind of quick turnaround? Yeah, you, you get notified uh, sometime in the month of February uh, whether you want to put a bid in to host an NIT game. And, you know, of course, we, we always want to play in postseason games, um, and especially as we're building the program on the on the basketball side. So, we you know, we submitted that bid back in, in February, um, hoping you're in the big dance. I mean, that's always the goal, and that's that's the expectation. But for this team, as we're building it, to have postseason reps, um, I, I'm sure Coach Coach will talk about that piece of it. And so it, that's where we need to support our guys. Mm-hmm. And so things are being developed as we speak. So I was just on, on the phone with, uh, with Justin Moore. Tomorrow night's game at Reed Arena, because we saw the crowd when the team got back to the Cox McFerrin awesome. Center. I mean, Shout out to the 12th man. Unbelievable. They, they out full force. Let's bottle that. <clears throat> so we're going to make tomorrow night's game free. To, so this was kind of breaking news. Here on TechSags. Do we have a breaking news alert you can play? Yeah. The game. Yeah. You can play it? Okay. The game tomorrow <laughs> night will be free. Awesome. And we're putting together all the details to send out to season ticket holders in terms of how they activate their tickets and what that means for students. And But we're going to make tomorrow night's game free. Can't do that for it because we really should be hosting three NIT games. That's the goal. Can't do that for every game. But it's spring break. Let's reward these players. Let's reward our fans to show their appreciation. Our players deserve to be celebrated tomorrow night. Hey, families, if you're in town, students, if you're in town, get to Reed Arena. We're going to make it free to everyone. Um, Like I said, can't do that for every game, but at least for this game during spring break, let's just pack it out and let's just celebrate these guys and make it loud. And I mean, that's what Aggies do. I mean, think about that Kentucky game and several other other games this year. Let's uh, let's have a packed house, you know, tomorrow night. So that that's what we're going to focus on, is really just supporting our players and our coaches. It's not Kentucky, but let's make it as close to Kentucky as possible. Let's do it. It's postseason basketball. Yeah, let's a championship let's have everyone night. tune in around the country tomorrow night and say, "Hey, what did those Aggies do? Oh, look what they did. They they supported their players. They supported the program. And to your point about making a, a run now, that sets the stage." For the future, how many teams make a run in the NIT, and then next year, oh, guess what? They're in the Sweet 16. Guess what? They're, you know, they're a, a top four seed, or you know, whatever. So, let's uh, let's do that. Let's set the stage and let's have a big uh, big crowd tomorrow night. For the record, Memphis won the NIT last year. Mm-hmm. At large bid as an eight seed this year, so right. it, it does translate right. to winning in it the does. future. And the last two times A&M's made the NIT. They won 26 games the following okay. year and 27 games the next year. So you got all the 15, numbers. So. you got all the data. I'll have you be our uh, data analyst hey. when we're making all these points for us. I'm freelancing yeah. right now, yeah. so I'll take there any money I can get. Uh, Ross, just two more questions for you. When you look at how Buzz is building this program, this team should have caved during the eight-game losing streak. They should have thrown in the towel. But Buzz wouldn't let them. 
What is it about Buzz that so many players and administrators and, and fans, why are they able to buy into what he's <laughs> yeah. selling despite the results not necessarily being there as you would hope? Yeah. You know, I think it just goes back to that, that word culture, right? I mean, and culture is every little thing. Buzz is the most detailed coach that I've ever been around. When I talk to him, he's got a notepad. When he goes on a show, think of the things that he can remember and, and recite. The most detailed person that I've ever been around a, a, as a coach. And so I think that just breeds to the players buy in because they're told, hey, when I ask you to do something, this is why. And I think in today's environment of, of coaching, the players want to know why. And so when you can explain why, because it's going to yield this result, that's where I think Buzz is having success. And, and I, I said it at the beginning of this, his culture is everlasting. And, and so that's the piece of it that I think allowed us to, to get through that eight-game streak is that, hey, look, he never went through that in his entire tenure of coaching. The players never went through that. But they just kept sticking to the process. They kept playing hard. And then, hey, then you start getting some confidence. You kind of break the seal. You win that game against Florida here at home. You start playing better offensively. You go to Alabama and just dominate them from start to finish. It's like, oh, okay. Okay, we're, we're back. You know, we're back in the flow. And, and then confidence is just a great thing. So I think it just goes down to the fundamentals of how he runs the program hour by hour, day by day, all the way back to boot camp, all the way back to the off-season workouts. It's just it's just a culture thing, and Buzz is the best at it. He does build a culture. He did it at Marquette. He did it at Virginia Tech. Right. He's doing it here in Aggieland now. And I think a great chance to continue building that culture is take what you have with the NIT. Right. Go prove what, how good this yeah. team is and play for a championship. Yeah. And I think, and this is a question and a statement at the same time, Winning the NIT would yeah. do wonders for this program moving forward. Yeah. Think about uh, what happened in football, right? We were, we were mad, upset. We didn't get in the playoff mm -hmm. 2020. Well, what do we do? Go win the Orange Bowl. That's what we did. We, we set a standard and we made a statement. Hey, look, we're disappointed, but let's go win the Orange Bowl. Hey, you know what? Let's go win the NIT. Let's, let's show everybody, hey, look, you guys were wrong about this team they're one of the best 36 at-large teams. It's going to be a different stage, a different route, but I think that's where you make the statement. And, and that's where I think our fans can come in to play is, hey, look, tomorrow night's game is free, and then host the next game and pack it out this weekend. It's going to be Saturday or Sunday. Those are the dates. Host the next game, pack it out. The students will be back. So I think that's where the players can make a statement, our coaches, and then the program, we can all make a statement together. 8 o'clock tomorrow. 8 o'clock tomorrow. Alcorn State. Tom Hart's on the call. We had Tom Hart okay, on the show earlier. Okay. Is he going to be in town? Yes. Or is it going to be a no. virtual? He said he's on his way to college okay, station good. right now. All right. ESPN2. Okay. It's free. There is no excuse Let's for you it. not to be there tomorrow Let's night. That's Ross Bjork, Texas A&M's athletic director. Right. Thank you so much for coming Absolutely. in shedding some light on the situation. This is Tex Radio presented by David Gardner Jewelers. We'll be back in just a minute. <laughs> Welcome back to Texags Radio, presented by David Gardner's Jewelers. Mike Luke is in today for David Nuno in the Rollo Insurance Studio. Thanks again to Texas A&M Athletic Director Ross Bjork for spending the last 20 minutes with us, breaking down everything from A&M's disappointment for not reaching the NCAA tournament to 
breaking some news on the show. I thought I got out of the news breaking industry as Jamie walks in. What's up, Jamie? Moving the mic. Jamie's moving the mic. Hey, this is a professional team in here at Tech Jamie, at least I thought I got out of the uh, news breaking industry, but as Ross comes in, breaks some news. The game tomorrow is free against Alcorn State, 8 p.m. tip. No reason you should not be there for that game. It's going to be a blast. Reading some text messages from the inbox here. Roland in College Station asks, how do you get tickets to the NIT game tomorrow? Well, Roland, they're free. Show up, you'll get in. It's the thing of beauty from Ross Bjork. He just let us know that. Let's talk about Alcorn State, though. Let's go over some of these numbers. I pull up the stats here on Alcorn State just to give you a little idea and preview of what you can expect to see from the team A&M's playing in the opening round of the National Invitational Tournament. Alcorn State on the season, 17-16 and 16 overall. They were 14-4 and 4 in the SWAC. They were upset by Texas Southern in the SWAC championship game. 87-62, your final score in that contest. Alcorn State was the number one seed. Texas Southern, the two seed. So the two seed advances to March Madness, while Alcorn State heads to the NIT. This is a battle-tested Alcorn State team. For a mid-major, they did play a ton of Power 5 programs this year. They played Gonzaga, which they lost 84-57. They played Houston, a top-15 team. They lost 77-45 to the Cougs. They played at Baylor, got smoked by the Bears, 94-57. They also played Oklahoma, lost that contest by 24 points. So coming into College Station, coming into Reed Arena, Alcorn State won't be necessarily taken back by the bright lights of a Power 5 SEC program. They did play four Power 5 teams this year. They would have played five, but their game against Minnesota was canceled. A little knowledge and, and background on Alcorn State. They average 67 points per game, but they're a very inefficient offensive team. They shoot just 41% from the floor, 31% from three, which plays into A&M's defensive style. They want to force you to shoot some of those threes, which is something Alcorn State not very good at. They're also loose with the ball. They average 14 turnovers per contest, and that's something that A&M has done a tremendous job of in the last two weeks is forcing turnovers. They averaged 10.3 steals this season. That was second in the SEC. That number actually went up later in the year, especially in tournament play, which you would expect the opposite to happen because they're playing better competition. But Quentin Jackson, uh, Wade Taylor, Tyrese Radford, these guys have been phenomenal at poking balls loose and turning those defensive opportunities into offensive transition points on the other end. Alcorn State's a versatile scoring team. They have seven players who average, uh, excuse me, they have 10 players who average at least six points per game, but no one averages more than 11. Justin Thomas, the team's leading scorer, he's also their best player. He averages 11 points per game. He leads the team in that category. He also leads the team with 3.6 assists per game. He's also fifth in the team in rebounds overall. So that's kind of Alcorn State, the quick 101 on the team that will play A&M in the next round. We do assume, though, we shouldn't assume, but we do think A&M should be able to walk through that game even if they don't have their A game. Tom Hart said he believes A&M could sleepwalk through that contest and still make the second round, which would feature a matchup between the winner of Oregon and Utah State. So on the one hand, we could have an Aggie-on-Aggie matchup in the second round of the NIT if A&M takes care of business and Utah State beats Oregon. Or we could see a Power 5 matchup in the second round, Oregon has a ton of talent. They were, Dana Altman recruits unbelievably well up in Eugene, but the team lost seven of its last ten games and really was disappointing down the stretch. So it could be an interesting run through the NIT for A&M if they beat whoever their second-round opponent is. They could play Wake Forest 
for a trip to Madison Square Garden on the line. Wake Forest has the ACC Player of the Year in Alondo Tucker. They only lost nine games all season long. They were a team that many expected to be surely and, and safely in the NCAA tournament before the ACC tournament began, but Wake Forest lost to Boston College in the first round. That never got off the ground. So it should be a fun NIT run. As Ross Bjork just told us, the game tomorrow, totally free. No excuse not to be there. 8 p.m. tip, ESPN2, Alcorn State versus Texas A&M. And I will say this again. David started off the show with this. I'll reiterate it. I agree with it. The Texas A&M team we saw for that eight-game losing streak earlier in the year wasn't a very good basketball team. They were not able to answer the questions the opponent poised to them on a daily basis. They just weren't. This version of Texas A&M, the most recent version of Texas A&M, the SEC tournament version of Texas A&M, had the answers. And instead of just answering questions, they forced teams to adapt to them instead of molding their system and their style to fit the opponent. They forced the pace of play. They dictated the other team playing small ball. They made the other team uncomfortable with their high-pressure press. And that version of Texas A&M was playing as well as any team in the country late in the season. Do I think if they made the tournament, they were Final Four good? No. I don't think they had the talent to reach a Final Four this year. Do I absolutely believe they could have won the playing game, upset a team in the first round, and made a trip to the Sweet 16? Yeah. If the matchup fell in their favor, absolutely. That's how good this team was playing late in the season. And it's a shame we will not get to see them play on the biggest stage in college basketball. They should have made it. I stand by that. But we can't change it now. When we come back, we're talking a little spring football and some Texas A&M storylines. Heading into the 2022 season with one of our favorite college football guests. Keep it here. This is Texas Radio presented by David Gardner's Jewelers. Welcome back to Tech Sags Radio, presented by David Gardner's Jewelers. It's Mike Lucas filling in for David Nino today in the Rollo Insurance Hotline. And we've talked a lot of college basketball this morning, but it would not be a Tech Sags Radio show with a little football talk. And joining us now to break down all things Texas A&M and some national college football storylines is one of our favorite college football writers. It is Shayhan Jayaraja. I think I did a pretty good job. Shayhan, I see him nodding, so I'm going to take that as a good one. Shayhan, how you been, man? I've been good. Thank you so much for having me. Shayha, when you look at this Texas A&M football team going through spring practice, is there one storyline above the rest that really stands out that you're focusing on? Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be that quarterback situation, right? I, I mean, I think that certainly getting Haynes King back is going to be a big deal, and adding the transfer Max Johnson's going to be huge. And don't be surprised if Connor Wegman does have a chance to come in and turn some heads right away. But looking back at 2021, I think that you look at that quarterback position as a real weakness on this team. It, I mean, offensive line, you expect them to grow up a little bit. Obviously, had two freshman All-Americans. Uh, there are guys in the wings on the defensive line at running back. But really, if this is all going to come together and if Texas A&M is going to compete for the SEC, it's going to need to come at that quarterback position. You look at Max Johnson last year, 27 touchdowns, just six interceptions for LSU. We know that LSU offense wasn't phenomenal, but it didn't seem like Johnson was the problem. He's kind of the, I don't want to say forgotten figure, but Wakeman comes in with all the hype. Haynes King was obviously the starter last year. Is there a real road for Johnson to becoming A&M starter this year? 
No question. I mean, especially at a program like Texas A&M and with a coach like Jimbo Fisher, you don't take a quarterback unless you think he's going to contribute in some way. Now, it might be in reserve, but I think that what Max Johnson does coming in is he gives Texas A&M a much higher floor than what they had last year at the position. Because, you know, last year, Haynes King gets hurt. Zach Calzada is really the only quarterback on the roster with Eli Sowers not really playing the position. And, you know, Zach Calzada tried his best, but I think that it just never really came together. Well, in Max Johnson, you've got somebody who has had success in the SEC. You mentioned an efficient passer, good decision maker. And and look, like you mentioned, LSU's offense wasn't spectacular. It was, in a lot of ways, the worst two-year stretch in a long time for LSU. But I do think that coming in at Texas A&M, he's going to have a lot more help around him. There's going to be no questions on that defensive side of the ball. And the other thing, too, that you talk about, and something that's been a little bit of an issue uh, during Jimbo Fisher's whole tenure, is you do have these five-star receivers coming in as well. So you feel like whichever quarterback comes in should have an opportunity to have some success. And one thing, too, that I'd wonder is with somebody like Max Johnson, who maybe knows what he can do a little better than some of these young guys, you know, does Jimbo Fisher adjust a little bit and kind of do some things that really tie into Max Johnson's game so that he can have success? I mean, this is a really good team, of course. This is a team that should have been better than the 8-4 and than it was last season. And I'm curious if uh, somebody coming in with SEC experience can help raise the floor especially a little bit. I'm interested in something you just said about Jimbo maybe changing his style to match Max Johnson. Looking at Jimbo's career, has he really changed his philosophy ever to match a quarterback, or would that be almost a little bit of a differentiating factor for Jimbo as he does get older and transitions to a new era of college football that maybe he has to adapt and say, hey, my style doesn't fit my quarterbacks. I have to find a new style that fits them. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely been one of the more rigid uh, offensive systems, I think, in college football. But one thing that I will point to when I talk about flexibility is I will talk about kind of late Kellen Mond, right? I think during his senior year, you really started to see Jimbo Fisher try to do things that Kellen Mond was good at. Now, there were still those throws to the sideline that maybe Kellen Mond wasn't adept at making that he still kept calling. But, you know, you saw a little bit more zone read. You saw a little bit, uh, even bootlegging, right? I mean, Kellen Mond was so good at throwing on the run, and you saw a little bit more of that. And that's something that maybe with Max Johnson, that he can come in and say to Daryl Dickey, hey, I feel really comfortable doing this. I feel like I can do this at a high level. And, you know, and maybe you just can emphasize that sort of thing, right? Because in a lot of ways, football's about finding a mismatch and taking advantage of it until somebody makes you stop. And so I think in some ways, you know, maybe Max Johnson, as somebody who has started games, who has played for multiple years in the SEC, is able to come in and have a little bit of authority and kind of say, this is what I need to be successful. Whereas, you know, if you're Haynes King, if you're Connor Wegman, you kind of are the guy who came up through the system and, and you feel like you're supposed to match yourself to them. Maybe somebody coming in from the outside, which, by the way, is not something that Jimbo Fisher's really ever done before, is have a major transfer quarterback. Uh, you know, I, I'm curious how he kind of handles that whole situation. Maybe you can't teach some old dogs new tricks, but whoever ends up at the quarterback position is going to have the luxury of turning around and handing the ball off to Devon A-Chain, who is getting some preseason Heisman buzz. Shayhan, do you believe that A-Chain, A, is worthy of the Heisman buzz, and B, how good can this kid be? Because in the small spurts we've seen, he is special. 
I mean, when you talk about fast, I mean, you have to talk about Devon A. Shane. I mean, he's one of the fastest players in college football. We saw all these 40 times, obviously, coming up uh, at the NFL Combine a few weeks ago. And he's going to be somebody who, when he goes and runs at the Combine, people are going to be shocked. I mean, this is a state track champion. This is somebody who who could run at the 5A, 6A level. And I think that coming in now to college football and being a primary guy, it's going to be interesting, right? I, I like that they have other guys in the room to maybe be change of pace. But, I mean, he's somebody who I think is just going to break away a whole lot, right? Like, I mean, people remember, he's built differently, of course. But, like, Leonard Fournette, every time he touched the ball when he was at LSU, you wondered if he was going to break it off. And, you know, with HN maybe getting more like 150, 200 carries this upcoming season, I think we're going to get to see a lot more of that. Now, again, I, I don't – when you talk about running back Heisman candidates, right, you got to be like in the 2000 yard range to, to maybe have a chance to do that. And just with the way that Texas A&M plays offense and also the depth that they have in that room, you know, Heisman's probably a little early, but I like him as an all SEC back. I like him as a, you know, 1200, 1500 yard rusher. And I think that he's going to do a great job of filling in some of those gaps left, uh, left by Isaiah Spiller. He's a different kind of runner, of course, but in some ways I think that's going to only make Texas A&M's offense more dangerous. The receiving core has a lot of questions and holes that need to be filled. Anaya Smith coming back, though, is a great place to start. Then you add five-star freshman Evan Stewart. You get Moose Muhammad, who came on late last season. The quarterback makes the receivers, but do you feel like the talent in that group now, Shahan, is at a level where they can compete on the outside with some of the elite defensive back groups in the SEC? Yeah, I mean, there's no question talent-wise that this this unit has arrived, right? I mean, you don't get players like Evan Stewart and, and worry about talent after that, right? And so the big question now is obviously Jimbo Fisher's offense asks a lot of receivers, and sometimes you have to wait a year, a two, a three before you really get to see some of these results, but they do happen a lot of the time. Um, this is where I think that in a lot of ways offensively, this is the position group I'm looking at the most because we know the talent there. We know how good these players are. We know the schools that recruited all the, these kids who are coming up now. I need to see them kind of grow up. I need to see them play like big time players. I need to see them play like four and five star recruits that they are. Uh, that's something that I think lacked a little bit last year. You know, Zach Calzada did nobody, you know, favors that receiver, but the receivers also didn't do them a whole lot of favors. So I think that with these guys having a couple years in the system at this point, this is when you really need to start to see it, right? I mean, like you mentioned, Moose Mohammed at the end of last season really starts to come on. You got to build that forward. Evan Stewart, I mean, obviously he's a, a freshman coming in, but he's such a talent. You got to build that forward. And I'm curious to see, right? Because I think that if this receiver room, which has a lot of potential and has a lot of talent, if they do hit, then this is a fantastic offense. This is one of the best offenses in the SEC. I love to hear that. I see behind your right shoulder, Shayhan, is your wrecking crew cover from Dave Campbell's Texas football last year. Phenomenal story. Defense lived up to the hype for the most part, but now Mike Elko's gone. He's the head coach at Duke. DJ Durkin comes in with a bit of a different defensive scheme, but same principles. Do you expect this A&M defense to continue playing at the same dominant level they have despite losing guys like DeMarvin Leal and Aaron Hansford and going through a new coaching change? Or could it even be better now with a guy like Durkin and some of these five-star recruits on the defensive line that are coming in? Yeah, this is a really critical year, I think, because you do start to see – this wave come in, right? I mean, 2019 was kind of that first big class that Jimbo Fisher had, and he obviously followed it up with 2021 and the best recruiting class of all time in 2022. And so you've started to see some of these young players hit. 
now I think that this is going to be the moment where those young players have to take on the full responsibility, right? You need to see Jalen Jones become an all-SEC player. You need to see some of these defensive linemen that are coming in, you know, Shamar Turner, Shamar Stewart, all, all these guys kind of coming in, have a chance to, to, to be big-time players. I'm, I'm really excited to see Walter Nolan potentially get a chance uh, to come in and play as a true freshman on the defensive line. And so I think I do especially look at that front seven, right? Because the front seven was such a strength last, uh, the last couple of years. You you have recruited, I mean, maybe the best defensive line recruiting in the entire country over the past two or three years. Uh, this is the moment where those players have to grow up. And I think that that strength and conditioning staff has done such a good job with them. Uh, certainly the defensive line coaches, Elijah Robinson and Terry Price, have been incredible, I, I think, in a lot of ways. And so I, I think that it's going to this is going to be the moment where we see whether this is a, a machine, right, whether this is the Alabama, Georgia, just kind of plug and play type machine. They're, they're, they have a lot of uh, reasons to believe that that's going to be the case. Uh, certainly bringing a new coordinator changes the calculus a little bit, but I don't expect that they're going to be doing a whole lot different than what they were doing with Mike Elko. I think that uh, trying to keep some, you know, situational similarity, I think is going to, is a big part of why they brought in Durkin at defensive coordinator. And this is the most talented defense that, that Durkin's coached in a long while. So I, I think that they have every opportunity to be just as good. And, and I think by the end of the year, they might be even better. You mentioned bringing in five stars and recruiting, obviously a key component in winning in college football. You look at Georgia, you look at Alabama, the teams that have won championships in recent memory have all recruited at an elite level. Now that the recruiting side is here for A&M. They are recruiting at the same level as these big schools. They just signed the best class ever in college football history. Do you expect, Shahan, the winning to now catch up to the recruiting? Because right now it is still a little uneven. They are recruiting at elite level. They're not winning at elite level yet, but I believe that it will catch up. Do you have the same belief? Yeah, I mean, I think that when you look at uh, kind of building a college football program, right, you start with recruiting, you got to recruit at that elite level. So, and I think being in that top five range is elite recruiting. I mean, much less being the number one class in the country. Uh, you got to develop. I think that they've developed at an incredibly high level. And I think that the NFL draft this upcoming year is going to prove that with, you know, seven, eight, nine players potentially being drafted into the NFL from Texas A&M, including several who are going to have a chance to be drafted in the first three rounds. And yes, so I, all the pieces are there, right? They've done all the things correctly. Obviously, I think both on the field and off the field, they've done a lot of things correctly. Now I do think it does come down to straight up just ball coaching, right? It is, can you get the most out of that quarterback position? We've heard so much about Jimbo Fisher developing quarterbacks and, and Kellen Mond obviously got better over his career, but you know, I, I think that certainly they haven't had that Jameis Winston come in for them. Maybe it's Connor Wakeman. Maybe it's Max Johnson. Who knows? Uh, but, you know, they haven't really had that position hit. And so if they're going to elevate it, I, I think it does need to come onto on-field coaching at this point, right? We've seen so many good things, especially on the defensive side of the ball, but it's almost like we've never seen all of the position groups at the same time be on the same page, right? We've, we've seen great defensive lines, and it was at the same time as poor safety play. We've seen great offensive line play, but it was young receiver play. We need to see all those sort of uh, things come together at the same time, because when you look at Alabama, when you look at Ohio State, when you look at Georgia, they're hitting all these position groups at the exact same time. And I think that's what it's going to take. And so heading into this upcoming year, if I, I think Texas A&M needs to be competing with Alabama for the SEC West. It's kind of what we said last season. But I think with a younger team, it's going to be even a little bit harder. But uh, but the talent top to bottom, one through 85 on this roster is in a better place. And it's probably ever been at Texas A&M. These are the moments where it has to be, you know, being in the SEC West race. You can, you've proven that you can beat Alabama as well. So to, to beat Alabama and finish eight and four, I think it's a real disappointment. If you are the program that you want to be, which I think that Texas A&M is in the direction of doing, 
you have to win 10 games. You have to go 10 and two at least uh, and be right there with Alabama at the end uh, this upcoming year. And again, Sometimes it just takes a second, especially when you're playing in a division as tough as the SEC West. But this is the moment, right, where they kind of have to come together and put together a 10-win season. Time for one more question, Shayhan. I'm going to give you a hypothetical here. If Vegas set the line for SEC championships for Jimbo Fisher at half, 0.5, would you take the over or the under? I'd take the over. Uh, I, I think that he's going to be here a long time is a big part of it, right? And you've seen them get so close, right? I mean, that 2020 season in so many ways was that moment that, you know, things just go a little bit differently. If Alabama doesn't just happen to have one of their best teams ever, then maybe you have a shot to do it. I think that there is going to be a year kind of like 2021 where maybe there's a little bit of churning in the waters. Maybe Jimbo has this great team that he's put together like Georgia did. I do think that he does find a way to win the SEC and play in the college football playoff, but it's a tough task. You got to get through Alabama, got to get through Georgia. There's more teams coming on the way, Uh, but, but, Texas A&M, you know, we saw with this past recruiting class, a lot of people see them as next in line. Shayhan, thank you for your time this morning. I appreciate it, my man. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, we got to take one last break. When we come back, we're going to wrap up this edition of Texas Ags Radio presented by David Gardner's Jewelers. Closing time. Open all the Welcome back to Texas Ags Radio presented by David Gardner's Jewelers. For the last time, I am Mike Lucas filling in today for David Nuno in the Rollo Insurance Studio. David We'll be back tomorrow on Wednesday. Then he's taking off Thursday and Friday again to spend some time with the family. Much needed rest and relaxation for Mr. Nuno on spring break with his kids. The story of the day, though. Texas A&M Aggies left out of the NCAA tournament. But as we heard from Ross Bjork earlier on the show, tomorrow's NIT game against Alcorn State will be free. We just saw that baseball has moved up first pitch of its game tomorrow against Houston to 5 p.m., to allow fans to get to that game and then the NIT game. So if you are in College Station, if you are still in the area, not on spring break, there is no excuse not to be at Reed Arena tomorrow night. They're taking on an Alcorn State team, which they should be able to, as Tom Hart said earlier on the show, sleepwalk through en route to victory, which would set up a potential second-round matchup against either Utah State, an Aggie on Aggie showdown, or Oregon, which would be a fun little Power 5 matchup. We've gone through the blind resumes. We've gone through why A&M should be in. They have 12 SEC wins. They made the SEC tournament finals. They're 42nd in the net. We've compared blind resume to blind resume, and I will go to the grave thinking that A&M, with a head-to-head win over Notre Dame, should have been included in the field of 68 over the Fighting Irish, over Rutgers, over Michigan, over Wyoming, and then Indiana is the one team where I feel like it's a true coin flip. If you want to argue for Indiana, sure. If you want to argue... For the Aggies, I also will hear that out. I saw a tweet earlier from Peter Burns this morning. The SEC got six teams in the tournament. All six teams are top six seeds, which goes to show the strength of the SEC. In comparison, the Big Ten got nine teams in the tournament, including Michigan, Indiana, and Rutgers, three teams on the bubble that got in over A&M. Of those nine teams that got in, Only four were top six seeds. So if we're going off strength of schedule, based on this metric, you would be inclined to believe that the SEC was a stronger, top-heavy basketball conference than the Big Ten this year. And A&M has wins over Auburn, a two-seed, two wins over Arkansas, a four-seed, and a win over Alabama, who was a six-seed. That's four quad one wins over teams ranked in the top six seed lines of the NCAA tournament 
It does not make sense. It does not make sense, and I will go to the grave thinking that. We talked to Ross about the selection process, how disappointing it was for the Aggies not to be in the tournament, but there is still something to play for. And championship reps cannot be replicated in practice. They cannot be replicated during the regular season. They can only be replicated in postseason experiences, which is why I do believe as disappointing as not making the NCAA tournament was, that A&M has a chance to do something special here. Buzz Williams is building this program, and it's a brick-by-brick process. It's not going to happen overnight, and frankly, it is starting to take shape after three years on the job. But going out in the NIT and proving that they are one of the best teams in the country, or at least deserving to be in that field of 68, by beating Alcourt State, by beating either Oregon and or Utah State, by beating Wake Forest, by making it to Madison Square Garden, that lays the foundation of what Buzz Williams needs to make this program the powerhouse that it has the potential to be. Championship reps cannot be quantified or replicated anywhere else but a championship setting, and that is what Texas A&M is playing for the next three weeks in the NIT. They have a chance to end this season with an exclamation point. Yes, it's disappointing it's not the big dance. Yes, it's disappointing that they were snubbed, and rightfully so, they should be disappointed. But they can't change it now. And the only thing they can do from here on out is go prove to the rest of the country that they deserved to be in that field of 68 when it's all said and done. Texas A&M is headed in the right direction. Trust in Buzz Williams. Be patient with this program. Be patient as they continue to build and recruit at a higher level because what Buzz does works. It takes time. He's not a guy who's going to come in with five-star recruits night and night and figure out a way to win. He builds a culture. He builds a program. And he did not let his team cave on an eight-game losing streak. He found a way to rebound, and he found a way to get everything back in. Texags Radio, thank you for having me. It's been fun. David's back great. tomorrow. You were awesome. Good job. Go, Mike. Thank you, Dalton. Hopefully I'll back at some point. And if not, thanks for listening. We will see you guys tomorrow. Big show on deck. This has been Mike Lucas from the Texags. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.